It's my pleasure now to introduce a person who is a professional cord untangler and a professional weed puller because he teaches us to plant flowers in our life and to know that we truly are enough. May I introduce to you and welcome our very own spiritual director, Reverend Patrick Cameron. Good morning. Yep, come on. So we're going to change things up a little bit today. I'm just curious, Joe, would that be 15-weight oil or 30-weight oil that you had for a drink? Anyway, uh, typically, uh, if you've been here with us before, we sing in this very room, and, and, um, and Brian's leaving for three weeks, so I said time, it's time to roll this song out. So Brian and I have been, he's been mentoring me uh, with uh, Rumi's song, Come. And so we've invited all the musicians to uh, play with us today. Actually, I'm surprised because I didn't realize they were good to go as well. So we're going to play uh, Rumi's poem, Come, which most of you know, and then we'll go into our affirmative prayer. So, And if you know it, please sing along.
worshiper, lover of me, then come, come wherever you are. This isn't a caravan of despair. Come, come wherever you are. Wanderer, worshiper, lover of me, then come, come wherever you are. Know with me in this moment. This is the only moment. This pristine moment of awareness is vibration in the Most High. One life, one power, one infinite divine activity. That activity, that life, that power is mine in this moment. And so I celebrate that. I celebrate with great gratitude all that has brought us together today. Everything that has brought me to this moment has been a blessing. And so I welcome all of it. I put down any fear, any anxiety any concern. It is all good. It is all God seeking expression. And I know as I enter into that vibration of the Most High, as I step into that deep conversation with soul and with spirit, my life is changed and transformed. And so I give thanks beforehand for all the blessings that have poured themselves forth and continue to pour themselves forth this day in the highest and best way. Saying yes to life in every way. I give thanks. I release these words and together we say, and so it is. Thank you, guys. And gals. 
That's fun to change it up once in a while, huh? Yeah. Yeah. Certainly. As that great metaphysician Curly from the Three Stooges would say. Certainly. All right. Ah, see, my talk was so good the first time around, someone walked off with my notes. They wanted to go home and look them over. It's good. <clears throat> All right. I know where we're going. Been using um, Deepak's book over the last several weeks, Reinventing the Body, Resurrecting the Soul. And it's a wonderful book. He's got a lot of great stories and insights into it. And today's uh, lesson is What If Life Got Easier? <laughs> Just a thought. Just a thought. And so Deepak talks about the soul and the connection with the soul. And he uses it a little bit differently than Dr. Holmes, our founder, would use it, but very, very much in, in concert. And Deepak talks about the soul, and I also believe Holmes would agree with this, is the connection with, with spirit, with God. And he begins this, this uh, discussion today with the idea that few people have actually experienced their souls. And part of the reason is because they assume that it would be difficult and it would be arduous. And it would be, be more work, so why bother? Anybody feel that way? Once in a while. But nothing could be further from the truth, uh, truth as uh, Deepak said. Connecting to your soul is actually easier than what you and I are doing right now. So, this is interesting. So I thought I'd share with you some ideas around that. The teacher Jesus had it, said it this way. He said, ask and you shall receive. Knock and the door will open. The buildup of struggle and strain happens for all of us by tiny degrees. Dr. Holmes, in the Living the Science of Mind, on page 267, had this to say about our relationship with this, this unseen force for good. He said, our first conclusion, and this comes from, um, this is a wonderful book by Dr. Holmes called Living the Science of Mind. And he's got short articles in there that are just uh, gems as you move along, and two or three pages, sometimes just a page. But he, he, he entitled this chapter, The Story of the Lost Word. And he talked about this idea of a power. And so there are many people that have gone, come through the ages and have seemed to demonstrate this extraordinary ability to, to sort of master their lives. One of them would be Jesus of Nazareth, and there have been many, many other saints that have come along and, and uh, had an impact on the world. And what Dr. Holmes said is that Jesus never claimed to have any secrets that were kept from others. He plainly said, what I do, you can do also when you learn how. See, our whole teaching is based on this premise of we can all learn this. It's not that we don't love this, this life, this avatar, this great teacher, this son of God. It's that our opportunity is also to step into the consciousness of that possibility in our own ways, in our lives. And he says that Jesus undoubtedly possessed the secret word, the lost word, or the key that actually unlocked the door to a secret chamber, which revealed the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. But the secret that Jesus possessed and taught was so simple that it has taken nearly 2,000 years for its very simplicity to reveal itself to us. So it's much simpler than we, we make it out to be. And so Deepak's saying the same thing. He's just coming at it from his own, his own awareness, his own subjective nature. But it's interesting to watch. Holmes wrote this back in the 1940s. And here's T Deepak 60 years later writing the same thing in a little more contemporary language. Dr. Holmes said this, there is a truth that can deliver us from evil, and evil is a, is a sense of discord, disconnection. What happens when we, when we have the experience, we cut ourselves off from spirit. We cut ourselves off from that, that infinite possibility, that flow of life. There's a flow of life, and that when we experience our soul, we're in it. 
And so I'm going to share a beautiful story that comes from Deepak's book today, which is a beautiful example of, of someone having the experience and sharing it with us. And stories are so important. Stories can just so inspire us. <clears throat> there is a way to know the truth and use this word in such a manner that good and only good can follow. Dr. Holmes continues, There is but one final power and presence in the universe, which is God. And there is one final law in the universe, which is good. And there is one final impulsion in the universe, which is love. It, it is only through love that we can find the presence in its greatness and can use the power in its fullness. Joe sang his protest song. And, and, and so there is nothing new. The only thing that becomes new is our waking up. And when we start to wake up in new ways, in powerful ways, then everything changes. But it changes for us. Because we can keep getting up in the morning and having our, our drink of oil, probably 15 weight is what I'll go with, Joe, and, and then a bowl of gasoline. But the point is, is that as we wake up to, these, to, to a bigger possibility, a different idea, everything changes for us. But it starts with consciousness. So Holmes said the starting point, let's make it simple, the starting point is a love that cannot hurt and a faith that will not be denied. And he talks about this extensively in this chapter, why it's so important to bring that consciousness to our affirmative prayer. A love that cannot hurt and a faith that will not be denied. So Deepak has been, uh, throughout this story, sharing, uh, throughout this book, sharing stories. And I wanted to share Pauline's story with you because it's a really great example of someone in connection with their soul and what happened for her. So Pauline begins, everyone know, that knows me says that I lead a charmed life. Anybody here lead a charmed life? Beautiful. Thank you. One person. <clears throat> Pauline is a professional woman who is now 40. And this was written in 2009, so she's now 42 or 43, I guess, depending on what time of year she was born. Some shake their heads and say it, is, it, it, it enviously or with disbelief, but almost no one knows the truth. There's a reason everything goes right for me. So Pauline's story is everything goes right for her. And so Deepak raised his eyebrows and said, everything? And she said, she nodded. I haven't had a setback in 20 years. Things happen that, way, uh, that, happen that look like problems to other people, but in the end, they always turn out well. No matter what, she wasn't smug or smiling <clears throat> if she were keeping a mischievous secret. Pauline had something serious in mind. It all goes back to a very stressful time in my life. I was out of college. I had no direction. At 25, I had landed in a civil service job and had nothing to offer except security. I dated, but there was no one serious. These sound like ordinary complaints, and they don't convey how terribly restless and dissatisfied I felt. I would wake up in the middle of the night gasping for breath like somebody drowning. Anybody ever had that experience, waking up in the middle of the night gasping for breath like somebody drowning? I want to share, as I, I'm going to continue with this story, but I want to share a practice with you, and I want you to, to keep this in mind as we go, that I think is just, it's wonderful, and it ties in so beautifully, because how do we, how do we enter into this conversation with the soul? How do we keep from waking up restless and gasping for breath in the middle of the night? And this comes from a wonderful book called Seven, pa Seven Masters, One Path. And it's a wonderful book on meditation. And in it, uh, it describes a lot of the great traditions throughout the ages that have come along in a very clear and <clears throat> contemporary way. And I picked out the chapter on Taoism today, which is spelled T-A-O, 
but it's pronounced Tao, as if it were a D. The unique gift of the Taoist tradition is that it does not see the transcendent experience as a separate and other than, but fully integrates inner and outer, everyday and mystic, pragmatic and transcendent. The Tao, the Tao is a path we can all readily follow without fears of falling over some esoteric edge. Because the Tao points directly to everyday reality and says, right here before you, in your everyday routine, you will find transcendence and you will enter the Tao. And this is exactly what Deepak is talking about. This is exactly what Dr. Holmes is talking about. And so what I'm setting up the story is that Pauline hadn't found that doorway yet to to step into the transcendence. And most people, as I I set this up earlier, don't have that experience because it feels like a lot of work. And why would I want to do that? Because I'm so busy doing all these other things. So the Taoists have, they have six, there's actually seven practices. I'm going to share six with you, then I'm going to finish Pauline's story for you, and then I'll conclude with a, a wonderful, wonderful practice at the end of this. But the first step that the Tao, and Lao Tzu was the, the author of this. Lao Tzu was a recluse. He didn't hang out a lot with people, but he left a whole body of work. It's wonderful poetry, and it's called Taoism. And so it's really a way of life, and Tao means uh, the way. So number one, first step is concentrating on the center. Can you concentrate without deviating? Can you pick out an affirmation in your life or a new idea or something you long to experience without deviating, without letting fear and doubt and worry and anxiety enter in? And so that's the practice. And if you say no, it doesn't mean that it's not possible. It just means that's where you are right now in consciousness. But can you, can you concentrate without deviating? The second practice is tenderness of breath. In tuning your breathing to induce tenderness, can you become like a newborn baby? Now, someone shared with me that they were a delivery uh, room nurse on the way out after the first service. And I didn't know this, but newborn babies, when they're born, they don't bring breath in. They totally exhale. Everything in their lungs, they let out. And they don't inhale. They let the lungs fill on their own. She says, it's quite amazing to watch, but they all, we all do it when we were born. We just totally exhale, and then the lungs know what to do. And so as part of the Taoist practice is, can you, can you breathe like a newborn baby? Number three, cleansing the mind is the third step. In need of purification of the chronic thoughts, we allow to run through our minds that pollute and stain our experience with fears and angers and manipulatory notions that disturb our natural, our natural peace. When the mind becomes quiet and stops judging and manipulating and resisting the natural way, then we succeed with Lao Tzu's third feature of meditation. The fourth step is loving without interfering, which is called, the Chinese call it Wu Wei, which refers to the serene and effortless performance of one's daily duties or no willful interference in or manipulation of the natural, free, spontaneous course of the Tao. Number five, surrendering to the feminine. Allowing ourselves the softer, more intuitive, and less dominating feminine qualities to rise to the fore so that we're surrounding, we're surrendering rather than dominating, receiving rather than broadcasting, and loving rather than fighting. And number six, encouraging balance. How we remain balanced and unattached when we enter into a deep spiritual state of being and our light shines forth in all directions. So there's six practices, and they're all wonderful practices, and they're all really simple. They're all right in the book, and I know it's a little quick for all, you to remember all of them. But it's, they're wonderful, simple practices. <clears throat> and I believe that when we're able to slow down 
and step into that, that vibration, into that, that, that spaciousness, something powerful and beautiful happens. But it is so counterintuitive for most of us because we're so busy doing things. And we are. It's the nature of life. We're called to do things. We're called to do things. So Pauline is waking up and she's having these panic attacks in the middle of the night. She said, nobody knew how I felt. What was there to say? Nobody could tell me what was really going on, at least not anyone I knew. And so Deepak said, do you know now? And Pauline nodded. I was breaking up inside. No, she said, that's too too dramatic. I was reshuffling. The whole process must have been going on for a while, maybe since childhood. I was intensely religious at 10 years old, dressing in black and retreating up into the attic to read the Bible. How many of you did that? Go ahead. Anyway, I didn't know how to handle my restless state, which came to a head one Saturday afternoon. I was sitting by the window in an old armchair, my mind racing. I can't remember what my thoughts were, but I do recall wondering if this is how people lose their minds. And Deepak asked her, said, did you feel crazy? And she shook her head. That's the funny thing. I wasn't agitated emotionally. A strange kind of calm had settled over me. It was like watching somebody else's mind racing faster and faster. And suddenly it all stopped. I looked outside at the bright morning sun and I knew. This is beautiful. She just knew. She had this awareness. Everything you want is coming to you. Everything you want is coming to you. There's nothing to do. Now, does this not sound like the Tao path? There's nothing to do. Just like that, I couldn't believe it. Deepak asked her, did you hear a voice in your head? No, but I felt as if somebody was communicating with me. God, my higher self. I wouldn't want to put a name to that inner voice, but my body became very relaxed. Now, have you forgot about breathing like a newborn baby? Just a reminder for us to relax. See, once we realize, and she gets to this in this story, which is so powerful, and my teacher used to say it over and over and over to me, there's nothing to fear. There's nothing to fear. This is, this is a story about a charmed life. This is an invitation to all of us. Everything you want is coming to you. There's nothing to do. Just like that, I couldn't believe it. She said, no, but I felt as if someone was communicating with me. God, my higher self. I wouldn't want to put a name on that inner voice, but my body became very relaxed. I thought I was going to cry, but instead I gave an enormous sigh. A huge burden was lifted that I didn't even know I was carrying. And Deepak said, "In, in one epiphany, you got a charmed life? She said, yes. Right away? Not quite. At first, I went around in a state of euphoria. Have you ever had... There's nothing scarier than a born-again uh, metaphysician when you first meet him. Because we want to save everybody. Man, I found the greatest thing, and let me tell you about it. Oh, here she comes. I, at first, I went around in a state of euphoria. I had complete trust in what the voice told me. I saw everything through rose-colored glasses. You see, I had no fear anymore. People don't realize it, but fear is always lurking somewhere in the background, like termites in the woodwork. And when it's gone, the whole world brightens up. That phase lasted only a few weeks. I came off my high. I was more myself again. You'd think at the end of it, that was the end of it. But in fact, the change was real. Bad things stopped happening to me. Bad things stopped happening to me. I started making choices that were right. My existence was no longer full of crisis and drama. Other people began to notice that I was leading a charmed life. 
So Deepak elaborates on this. He said, I would call this an epiphany about surrender. Imagine that you are caught between two forces. One, the force of conditioning pulls you toward a life of effort and struggle. And the other, the force of soul, pulls you towards a life that is effortless. The contest appears to be grossly unfair because the first force has a huge alliance behind it. Everyone you know accepts that life is difficult, and therefore society demands that you go along, not only in word and deed, but even in the thoughts that run through your head. For your thoughts are not your own. You have assimilated a hundred voices from the wider environment, from family, from friends, from mass media, society in general. And now they speak to you from inside your own mind. And this is part of the condition. This is, I mean, this is what is. This is not a bad thing. It's just, it's, it's, like, it's like the radio is playing this frequency, is paying, playing 88.6. And there's all these other stations on the radio, as Mary Madden Morrissey says in Prosperity Plus. We can go to 107.5. But we need to know how to turn the dials to get there. It's just changing the, the channel. And I have this wonderful practice I'm going to share in addition to the, the six I already gave you that I, I use all the time. And it, it's wonderful. Deepak continues, compared with this massive alliance, the soul has no visible power. It has no voice in your head. It is too intimate for other people to explain to you. This is the problem, too. It's hard to give language to this. It's an experience we can have, but how do you explain it to people? When you're having this spacious experience of unconditional love and this, this great, overwhelming sense of peace in your life. You know, how many people describe that to you? Not too many. How many television shows do you turn on and everybody's just really happy and there's no drama going on? It's not very interesting. It's kind of boring, isn't it? We have seen, Deepak says, that awareness can move energy, but the soul's awareness is so refined that the energy it moves is incredibly subtle. Without so much going against it, how does the soul exert any force at all? The answer is surprisingly simple. Your soul is you. It's who you are. It's who we are. Outside forces exert constant pressure, and in the short run, your soul's signals will be blocked out. But in the end, you can't ignore yourself by being ever-present. Your soul can wait as long as it takes. Your soul will wait as long as it takes. It'll wait forever. And you don't get it right this time. Who knows? But my teacher used to say to me all the time, every time I threaten to quit, you're going to do the work eventually. <sighs> Thanks. All right, I'll hang in there. So Dr. Holmes talks about this, talks about it in, in this chapter that I, was, I brought up. He says, there's one, the conclusion to reach on this and to know is that there's one final power and presence in the universe, which is God. And there's one final law in the universe, which is good. And there's one final impulsion in the universe, which is love. A love that cannot hurt and a faith that cannot be denied. He said, first we must realize that the power exists and it operates from the center of our own being. This is where it all comes from. This was the secret that Moses talked of. This was the secret that Jesus talked of. The first time Moses came down from the mountain with the, with the, with the rules, they didn't want him. So he had, went back up and he rewrote them. He, he, he said, okay, here's the guidelines. The first group of, of esoteric information he had to share, the, the, Isra- the Israelites didn't want it. It was too much responsibility. Oh, I can't do that. Just tell me how I got to behave. All right, don't kill one another. You know, don't be stealing one another's wives. Uh, don't take God's name in vain. Okay, I can handle that. I can do all those things. Yeah, give me the rules. I don't want to have to take any responsibility, but that's what the consciousness was at the time. 
He said, and this is so important, we must realize that the power exists and that it operates in the center of our own being and our own minds, and we must approach it in love. And then we must use it affirmatively. See, the reason we must use it affirmatively is because this, this, the infinite's nature at the highest developmental possibility for it is good. It's this infinite goodness that wants to be expressed. And so when we, when we bring our judgment or our criticism of self or others to it, we limit its impact. That's why we, we'll do the prayer treatment, the prayer treatment, the prayer treatment. But there's no way for it to take hold in the, in the consciousness that we want to impress the, into this infinite law in a way that's powerful and wonderful because those things cut us off. And so we're, 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 the words are there, but we're just announcing because we're not, we're not, we, we don't become the prayer. We should take certain definite times, Holmes says this, certain definite times every day to recognize the divine presence within us and around us. But even this must be more than a vague thought. It ought to resolve itself into definite statements such as this. And this is his affirmation. God is the only power and the only presence there is and God is right where I am. I live and move and have my being in God. God, God's being moves through me and manifests itself in what I am doing, whatever we're doing. If we're doing that, we're on course and we're on our purpose. There should be no, he continues, there should be no ifs, ands, or buts about this. No confusion. It should be simple and direct. No begging and pleading in our prayer work. He continues another affirmation that's beautiful. The good I desire, I already possess. That which I ask for, I now receive. And that which I want, I need and now have. The good I desire, I already possess. That which I ask for, I now receive. That which I want and need, I now have. How similar is that to Pauline's awareness when she was having this this mystical experience, this epiphany, when she said, everything I want is coming to to me. There's nothing to do. It's it's a reflection of consciousness, the language is. So I I read these practices to you, these six practices, which are simple. Simple little practices, focusing on the center, staying focused on the center, tenderness of breath, cleansing the mind, the woo-wee, serene and effortless performance of one's daily duties. Number five, surrender to the feminine. And number six, encouraging balance. There's another practice, and it's a, it's a trick that you can play with yourself. And what it does, I believe, it's a, it's a doorway to awareness. It's a doorway to the experience. And it's scientifically been researched. This is coming from the Seven Masters, One Path. Researchers have discovered that when the human mind focuses on two distinct sensory inputs at the same time, a sound and an image, for instance, or breath and a heartbeat, all thoughts almost immediately stop flowing through the mind. The thinking machine can be purposefully short-circuited simply by focusing on two distinct perpetual inputs Perceptual inputs at the same time. So if you feel your heart breathing and your chest rising up and down and feel your breath at the same time, it creates a spaciousness in this moment. It, and, and what that becomes is a transcendent moment. There's a, mystical, there's a mystical quality to it because it brings us so fully present in this moment. You can learn about additional research on this discovery through updates, and they go on and on in the book. As soon as you focus on both the sensation of air flowing in and out of your nose 
And at the same time, the movement of your chest and belly as you breathe, you've shifted into this expanded state where chronic thoughts tend to stop. The scientific premise at play here is that when you're thinking, you're continually focusing on a point, performing what's called in cognitive psychology the act of point fixation. Thinking is a matter of focusing your attention in a linear manner on one word or phrase or sentence at a time and then shifting your focus of attention to the next word or phrase or sentence. That's exactly what you're doing as you read these words, as I read these words. Thinking is very much a function of linear step-by-step point fixation. For much of each day, we're absorbed in this process, focusing our attention on a particular point in space or a particular series of words running through our minds one after the other. But when you shift your focus of attention to include two things at the same time, you entirely change your focusing system from point fixation to space fixation. When your mind shifts to look at the whole at once rather than at one point at a time, you're shifting from a mundane to a mystical level of consciousness. It's very simple, but it is so powerful. And the more, I believe, the more that we practice that, we access that soul. We access the, con- the conversation, the information that's available. And then it's not Pauline leading the charmed life. All of our lives become charmed. All of the things that are important for us to know continue to reveal themselves so we can deal with them appropriately. And as Dr. Holmes said, it's so powerful as well. He understood all this. He also understood the importance of bringing, bringing the love to it. Understanding there's, a, there's one impulse behind all of it. That is the love. And there's one law that we, we are constantly in interaction with. And so when we feel, clear the field of our awareness, wherever we are, when we, we clear it so that because those biases and those judgments and those opinions, and they're all important to have, we need to go, know when to go left and when to go right. All that stuff's important, but to be able to step back and be in that conversation in a deep and rich and wonderful way. And this is their opportunity. And as you do it for yourself, you do it for all of us. And then it's the invitation. Deepak talks about it extensively in this, this chapter, about we don't, that, that when we see it modeled for us, it, it creates the opportunity. That's how most new children learn. They watch the behavior, the environment they're in, and that's how they, that's how they, they replicate that. And they get it at the level of the energetic, the vibration of the most high. And so what if we were to do that? What if we were to, to center ourselves before we did our prayer work in the spaciousness, to just feel our chest rise up and down? And what a beautiful thing to have a, a physical body to pray from and an awareness and to feel it and then to sense the breath. And then we just, we're a blessing wherever we are. We're a blessing to ourselves. And everything is a gift. Everything is a gift. And that's our possibility. That's a beautiful thing. And so it is. <laughs>